CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jensen Assey. Over there is Ben Schiller. We are here to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto. We're going to start with some red candles, Bitcoin tanking right now, uh, presumably on the lack of a decision in the SEC versus Grayscale case, but surely could potentially be about something else. Bitcoin south of $26,000 at present. Just thought you should know. All right. Ben has the first story of the day. I'm going to toss it to him. Ben, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting about Bitcoin there. Uh, there were different uh, explanations for that. Uh, we can get to that later, I guess. I wanted to pick up on an op-ed that we ran this week by Dan Kuhn, who's an economist here and editor of the Node newsletter. And it's entitled, uh, as you can see, The End of the End of Crypto. And uh, Dan actually points to lots of good news, actually, for crypto recently, particularly with institutions coming into the market. So, uh, you know, we, we had BlackRock's uh, application for a Bitcoin ETF, Ripple's partial victory over the SEC um, with XRP. You could say that the justice being meted out to some of the villains in the industry, like SBF, is good news. Uh, and then particularly the, uh, the PayPal stablecoin announcement. Uh, these are all good kind of signals for, for crypto. And what Dan does in the piece is kind of bring this together and say uh, this could actually be the bottom of the market. And as evidence for that, he points to coverage from the New York Times, which is uh, often very critical of crypto and Bitcoin in particular, uh, where economists, they're a personal finance economist actually gives advice to young investors about how to get into crypto and to do it safely. And for the New York Times, that's kind of a milestone because it normally has a very kind of negative attitude. Uh, and here it is saying that, you know, if you're young, you want to get into crypto, you want to invest in this, uh, this is how to do it safely, which is sort of accepting that crypto exists and that it's here to stay. The point of the piece is to really say, well, in other kind of down markets and other times of kind of ruction like we're seeing at the moment, there are lots of people out there, particularly in the mainstream press, who are kind of saying, oh, this is the end of Bitcoin, the end of crypto. But we're not really seeing that this time. Even the New York Times is kind of saying, it's here to stay. Here's how to invest in it um, safely. So that's what the piece is about. And it's kind of a milestone in the conversation around crypto as much as the actual movements of crypto. I just want to say that Dan Kuhn clearly jinxed it because he goes out here. Yeah. He, he's like, mission accomplished. And then Bitcoin falls off a cliff. Way to go, Dan mm -hmm. Kuhn. Yeah. Way to go. 
I think it was a little bit premature of him to publish that piece. And I think investors everywhere should be mad that he has tanked the price subsequently. Let's all blame our Dan Kuhn for everything. This is, this is the Dan Kuhn dump. There, there was once the consensus pump, but this is indeed the Dan Kuhn dump. I'm, oh, I'm, poor I'm Dan. sticking to it. Don't be mean to Dan. No, we love Dan. Dan's the best. We love Dan. We do love Dan. Uh, here on the hash, we call it, well, we don't call this chart the road to boring, but we call this the road to boring, right? We have like the BlackRock ETF. We have Larry Fink's comments. I think we learned recently that Donald Trump has almost $3 million of crypto sitting in a wallet. And I just think the fact that these people, these organizations have been so outwardly skeptical about crypto, various parts of the crypto industry, and now have kind of changed their tune are good and indicates a definite road to boring. I think that paired with like PayPal's news. We're going to talk about MasterCard later. These like really trusted names in financial services are still experimenting in crypto, still forming groups to discuss what's happening here. And this is all happening after the FTX implosion, after there was huge contagion in the industry, after bank collapses that were blamed on the industry, whether there is any merit um, behind that is, I guess, still to be debated. I think all backs up Dan's arguments here. Zach? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, today's chart, I think maybe people were sort of, um, what's, what's it saying? Like, buy the rumor, sell the news, right? Maybe they're buying the rumor that we get some clarity on Bitcoin spot ETF approval today that didn't pan out. And now we're seeing significant market reaction. So that, I mean, honestly, could be maybe the bigger factor at play for some more uh, savvy Wall Street investors in the space. You're saying, hey, you know, there's been a lot of speculation that this Grayscale decision would uh, unleash a whole flood of Bitcoin spot ETFs into the market. And didn't see that today. Therefore, market is acting um, a bit pessimistically. So I would, you know, r- rather than Dan Kuhn putting these things down on paper and, and, and that turning the tide, I think maybe again, like we can talk about some of those bigger um, picture things that are happening specifically around the spot ETF, which I think recently, uh, you know, some weeks ago when BlockRock came out uh, and said that they were behind this thing, that caused significant, significant price action on the positive uh, following that announcement. Now we're seeing a bit of price action on the negative because uh, conclusion to that saga has, has yet to arrive. But, you know, I think Dan is, he's been around for a while, right? And he's wise to point out in this piece that as with many things, you know, sentiment uh, rises and falls and there will likely be, um, you know, again, that cycle that we've seen play out time and time again in the crypto markets where things go up only to come down. And um, that sort of is the, uh, the, the story of crypto when you look at it. I mean, I think he's talking more about the kind of long term here. And, I, and as you say, he, he's been around for a while. And, uh, you know, we might have these kind of short term movements in the market and the market is down generally. But uh, it, it does seem like a different type of conversation around crypto now than, than at previous points in uh, you know, different cycles. For sure. For sure. All right. Let's move from spot Bitcoin ETFs to Ether Futures ETFs. Bloomberg says that we are poised to get a U.S. approval, according to sources. Several firms have applied to list these ETFs, which would hold derivatives contracts tied to Ether rather than Ether itself. And approval from the SEC, according to Bloomberg, is imminent. We must mention that Bitcoin futures ETFs have already been approved. Zach, what do you think? I mean, yeah, why not, right? I'm not seeing a, <laughs> this like, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't seem especially, uh, you know, uh, momentous to me, right? We have, um, you know, Bitcoin futures ETFs. They're a bit more complicated than a spot ETF product. And that's why I think people are very excited about a spot ETF product hitting the market. But it would make a lot of sense that ETH would also 
uh, have a product like this. It sort of, I guess, further ensconces the sort of argument that ETH is also a commodity, despite uh, Gary Gensler's suggestions uh, that it may not be, right? Gary Gensler famously has said, everything but Bitcoin looks like a security to me when pressed uh, under testimony in Congress to specify whether that meant ETH was a security, he's kind of famously uh, demurred. So the fact that uh, this seems likely to happen in the eyes of these, these analysts indicates that maybe the belief that ETH is also uh, adequately decentralized to the point where it looks more like a commodity than a security is positive and is, is a nice kind of tailwind uh, to that argument that ETH should be treat, treated as such. So maybe that is the interesting bit in this little nugget, um, because that is still kind of a simmering debate. But I don't know. I, I, I think this is maybe to be expected, but I'll toss it to Ben for his thoughts. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I think it kind of adds grist to the idea that Bitcoin and Ethereum are different sort of categories of assets from the rest of the market. And uh, if, if this turns out to be true, as these analysts are saying, then that kind of idea, as you say, becomes ensconced and could have kind of widespread ramifications for crypto going forward. If there's going to be kind of two categories of assets out there, you know, one commodity and, and the other a security that makes uh, those commodity items like Bitcoin and Ethereum much more sort of tradable uh, in, in, in vehicles like this. Yeah, I think you guys are right. I'm just going to point to this tweet. ETF analyst Eric Balchunas, who, of course, works at Bloomberg, he tweeted, this is not surprising to us. We'd said that they would approve Ether futures early on in the race. Nice to be validated. Now, what does it mean for Spot? He said, hard to say beyond it shows that their views, policy and tolerance can change. I think this probably comes back to like our first story, right? Views are changing. Maybe we're taking small steps forward. It may not feel like a big deal to us, but a futures approval for Ether ETF is like another step in that road to boring. And I must note, despite the market downturn last night on this news, Ether popped up, I think, just over 10%. So a little, a little recovery there for Ether on the news. All right. We'll, I hope we'll, they clip that and put it somewhere. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, the, the, the Ethereum maxis will love it. The Bitcoin maxis will absolutely They'll hate, hate it. it. It'll and, be yeah. used by both camps to prove their deep suspicions of Coindesk.com. Let's talk about Tornado Cash. We haven't spoken about that in a while. And the group of developers and investors who were suing the Treasury Department, saying that it overstepped its authority and sanctioning Tornado Cash has unfortunately lost their lawsuit. The group was funded by Coinbase. Judge Robert Pittman from the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Texas found that the argument that Tornado Cash is not an actual entity, unconvincing. Ben, going to toss this off to you. Did you expect to see this group lose this case? Uh, I think I did expect them to lose the case. Uh, and it's interesting, it brings up a, a you know, a question that often comes up in, in these sort of cases around uh, decentralized finance as to whether there is kind of an operating entity to take responsibility for a project. So and in this case, the government argued that this uh, mixer, Tornado Cash, was facilitating money laundering and the expert, you know, the, the taking of money out of wallets. And the, you know, Coinbase side argued that there was no entity to sue, that the, the government had no basis to kind of go after this entity. And uh, the judge said that there was an entity that the DAO did have a collection of people that were knowingly doing something together. So it's kind of an interesting test case maybe for this wider question of uh, whether there's any kind of responsibility in these decentralized organizations. 
Super interesting, right? I think a lot of people in the space were saying, hey, this is a smart contract. You can't just like ban a smart contract. And I think what the judge is saying here is like the smart contract does not exist independently from its creation and the people who created it. And that has major ramifications for people who are building permissionless code that exists on the internet that anyone can use. So this is, um, I think for a lot of privacy tech advocates, this is a very disappointing outcome, right? How do you sort of have immaculate conception of these things that are meant to people, financial privacy in a world that is increasingly digitally surveilled, right? The judge is saying here, like, no, there, th this thing existed as a result of this group of people. Therefore, that group of people should be held liable for how this is used in the world. And I think, you know, this is going to probably likely be a contentious issue that gets played out in subsequent cases going forward. This was a really high profile one that garnered a lot of support. Obviously, you see Coinbase's name attach attached to this story. But I would imagine that this is also going to get uh, hashed out again in some future form. But I think a lot of privacy ag advocates are certainly expressing their dismay that this smart contract, the entirety of the smart contract was sanctioned. Um, so really quite disappointing for folks who wanted to see a more favorable uh, privacy preserving outcome. Uh, but then again, it was going to be a hard road to hoe for Tornado Cash, given that they're associated with the laundering of uh, funds from North Korean hackers that is then you know, funneled into various nefarious efforts, including a nuclear uh, weapons program, right? So that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty damning guilt by association that yeah. they would have to sort of be able to, to surpass in this instance. They were not. But yeah, interesting to see this, uh, to see this play out. Coinbase's chief legal officer, Paul Graywall, said that the company would support an appeal. So maybe we'll see um, an appeal coming up. But I think that broader question about DAOs and their responsibility and the contributors' responsibility is going to be an interesting one moving forward. I know in, in the previous months, we've seen uh, DAOs get served on Discord, on Twitter. There are interesting ways that regulators are finding to serve these DAOs, serve the people who are contributing to these DAOs, even if the people or contributors remain anonymous. I think it will be interesting to see how leadership at DAOs see this moving forward, how much transparency there is in the decisions being made, especially if contributors are going to be held legally liable. And it's going to be interesting to see if people actually still want to join DAOs and contribute in meaningful ways, given what's happening in the courts at the end of the day. No one wants to go to jail. If Wendy, if Wendy O was here, that's what she would be saying. We don't want to go to jail, right? We want to be part of the innovation, but we, I don't think jail is a nice place. And we don't want to be joining Sam Bankman Freak there anytime soon. Zach? Yeah, I mean, just like, again, like we talk about all the time, but like permissionless systems are super different from uh, a lot of the existing sort of structures in the world. And they come with a lot of these, uh, these trade-offs. You know, your Uniswap, you make a decentralized exchange that anyone can use. But by virtue of that, anyone is going to include bad guys. How do you sort of mitigate that or express that or advance education around that such that future uh, court cases, policy decisions, laws uh, don't sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's what a lot of people in DeFi are, are very fearful of, is that, okay, you know, this does have the ability to provide more access, uh, financial freedom, inclusion. On the flip side, we see instances like this where these privacy tools have been used by, by bad guys. It's going to be hard, I think, to advance like, uh, that messaging in a way that leads to productive uh, outcomes on the regulatory and policy side. And I think that's why there's like a lot of DeFi education efforts in, in DC, as the SEC even tries to expand the definition of what uh, an exchange is. So th this one, I think, is super fascinating and um, certainly has people in DeFi probably also, yeah, concerned about what that path forward is. Uh, ben, any last thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I and mean, this is kind of a foundational existential issue for, for DeFi and for crypto as a whole. You know, and I think you put it very, very well. You know, it's a clash between 
centralization and decentralization. And some people believe in decentralization. And here's the government saying, this is decentralization theater. And uh, we don't believe you when you say there's no uh, entity at the center of this. Um, and I think that's going to be a question in many, many cases going forward, as you said. I believe Coin Center is also suing the U.S. Treasury about this. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. We'll see if Niraj can get, get the case done. All right, we're going to change gears. Let's go to CBDCs, my favorite topic. MasterCard is doing a CBDC consortium with... It, it is. is true. It, it is actually it, Zach's favorite time, topic, Ben. Long time viewers know. It's, you, never know you never know which way I'm going to go on CBDCs. It's always an adventure. This one is about MasterCard working with Consensus, with Ripple, with Fireblocks, with others to sort of advance the conversations around CBDC interoperability treating these things like other forms of money that will exist in the future. Not a huge story, but an interesting way to riff on the CBDC conversation and the folks involved, certainly MasterCard being chief among them. I'm going to throw this to you, Jen. What do you think? What do you think this means for the future of my favorite CBDCs? You love CBDCs. I don't think CBDCs are going anywhere, right? I don't know. It's unclear. Maybe today you'll love them. Maybe Monday you won't. It's a real toss-up. I love it. It looks like the Bitcoin chart today. Anyways, let's get back to, to CBDCs. I think that this is like another road to boring story. I, I said that a little bit earlier. The fact that MasterGuard is creating, creating these forums, inviting players like Ripple, Fireblocks, Consensus to come and discuss what CBDCs could look like in the U.S. and beyond. I think is just like interesting to, to hear that MasterCard is doing that a few months ago. We heard that they launched a Web3 music accelerator. And so I see this as MasterCard just really putting their money into investigating what is happening in Web3 and then taking it away and looking at, okay, where does MasterCard want to play? Is it in CBDCs? Is it maybe in stable coins? I know Visa came out with an announcement, I think, in April that said they were hiring some software developers to start exploring stable coins. Is it in NFTs? And so I think this is just part of their research. They're, they are looking into where they might play next and we'll see what comes from it probably in the next bull cycle when the people who, who use MasterCard, when those mainstream people are more interested in crypto and want to use some of these products. Ben? Yeah, I think this is good news for uh, central bank digital currencies. Uh, and there are lots of countries out there, you know, mulling these projects. And obviously, MasterCard sees an opportunity there. Some other important companies involved in this, Ripple, Fireblocks, uh, Consensus uh, as well. Uh, so that's good for that industry. But I, I do want to say, I mean, this is about as far away from Satoshi's kind of Bitcoin vision as we can get. And, you know, this is MasterCard. This is uh, central banks. And it's nothing really to do with decentralization and a kind of dream of permissionless, open, you know, finance. So uh, I think it's worth putting that in context. Ben, the two can coexist. Can't they exist together? Can't well, we have CBDCs so Zach can do his taxes easily, but also have the decentralized world of Bitcoin? I think the jury's still out on that. You know, can we still have these two worlds, uh, the, the open world and the closed world? I think uh, we're seeing a clash of that all the time. So um, I think there is an interesting merging, though, I will say. I mean, there could be divergent tracks for like people's financial futures, right? But I think there is an interesting like convergence around using blockchain rails to do existing things better. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of conversation around real-world assets, CBDCs, stablecoins, stuff that makes the sending, uh, transacting, and settling of uh, accounts easier. Like blockchain does that, right? And so I think there's sort of this quiet actual realization among very big firms out there that this can be a better sort of 
infrastructure for a lot of the stuff that we do now in the world of like correspondent banking and like weird things with like Swift and like sending a wire and having to touch all these entities, right? I think the thing that a lot of these companies are realizing is that, oh, the blockchain, you know, whichever blockchain of choice can be the thing that undergirds all the things that we do, but can do so in a much more efficient fashion, right? So that's why you see people like, okay, we're going to digitize uh, US treasuries and we're going to stick them on a blockchain. Like Stellar has had a lot of success with this actually through its partnership with Franklin Templeton, right? It's just easier, quicker to do it. And I think more and more experiments are sort of uh, finally reaching prime time to the point where there could become that critical mass where a lot of existing infrastructure builds its, builds its way onto the, onto the blockchain. I hate saying the blockchain. It feels like 2018, like IBM commercial. Sorry. Yeah. Finds its way onto a blockchain somewhere um, as a way to just produce operational efficiencies, right? Um, you know, again, there's going to be like the Satoshi like cypherpunk vision and there's going to be like the CBDC vision. Those may be able to coexist. I think, I think Ben is right. Like the jury is still out as to one will try to kill off the other, right? That's the fear. But there is this sort of interesting realization that, oh, maybe, you know, it wasn't tracking lettuce after all, but like settling stocks actually is something that a blockchain can do efficiently uh, in a way that works for traditional finance institutions. So that to me, I think is maybe the interesting thing here is like RWA, CBDCs, stable coins, all that stuff um, is very much uh, of the moment. So. Yeah, CBDCs, digital toonies. Is it toonies? Is that a two? What's the thing? Toonies in is a two. Yeah, that's the thing. There you go. Two dollar okay. coin. Toonie has a little polar bear on it. Love that. Super cute. Yeah, come Love on up that. to Canada. We got cute money. Love that. That's a <laughs> nice. They they should do a commercial for Canada. Cute money. All right, that's it. <laughs> we're 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 leaving the show there. Canada. God, take that free consulting. All right, that's it. Uh, I'll shut up. It's Zach. It's Jen. It's Ben. We're the hash today. Check us out on the podcast network. Check us out on YouTube. I don't know. Wherever. We're everywhere. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Here we come. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.